<laughs> oh, that is good, Andrew. This is Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoot. Talking to interesting people about that interesting thing that interests them. Hello, this is episode 17 of Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoot. Uh, as usual, I'm Dan DeBoot. Welcome. 17 episodes of this podcast and we are nearing the end of the year. I'll take a little break over Christmas time. But I just want to maybe just bask in a bit of glory at the moment because Apple put out their top podcasts of 2018 on the iTunes store today and your humble fabulous Dan DeBooth, totally obsessed with number three. So thank you to everyone for listening to the show, for sharing it, for rating it, for reviewing it, for telling your friends, for telling me, for enjoying it. It means so much. I've had such, or I am having such an adventure recording all of these and discovering new things about people and about the world in general. There's a few more to come for the rest of the year. And of course, the one you're listening to right now which is episode 17 with Andrew McClelland, comedian slash DJ. You can find him on Instagram. His Instagram is DJ Andrew McClelland. And on Twitter, where he's Andy underscore McClelland. But they are the same person. He's a charming and lovely man uh, who I've known for quite some time, actually. Uh, We do improv together. And this podcast is us talking together about his obsession which is the musician Morrissey. But it's also an interesting one because Morrissey, as you'll find out in this podcast, has changed from the person he was when Andy became obsessed with him to who he is now, which is a little bit more unsavory. And it kind of got us asking a few questions like, if the person who you idolize, who you obsess over, actually turns out to be quote unquote evil, what happens then? What change do you go through? What should you do? What's due diligence? What should you believe? What should you feel? It gets a bit personal between the two of us, kind of trying to unpack that sort of stuff. And we also cover off things like, yeah, immigration and veganism. And of course, becoming obsessed with something in your youth and how that changes who you are and leads to you discovering a whole new world. So this one is a bit of a honest, uh, vulnerable sort of one. Um... I'd love to hear your feedback on it, especially if you hear me and Andy discussing something and you're you're tearing your hair out going, wow, what you guys are talking about is this, but you don't know how to articulate it, you dumb asses, because you know what, we probably don't. Um, Feel free to reach out to me or to Andy. If you reach out to Andy, though, make it nice, because he did give up his time to come on the podcast. But really, I'd be shocked if any of you were in any way unsavory, because... uh, You're a fantastic listenership. And if you are new to the podcast, feel free to backtrack and have a listen to some of the former episodes, including one, uh, which is the one with Michael Beveridge, that gets a shout out in this very episode. This is episode 17 of Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBoof. Joining me is Andrew McClelland, and he's obsessed with Morrissey. Deboof, tell me about your obsession. Well, my waning obsession, it will always be an obsession, but it's not necessarily a love anymore. 
is for Stephen Patrick Morrissey. Uh, singer in his own right and former lead singer of The Smiths. Okay. Um, I should tell you that I personally think that Johnny Marr is the real talent in The Smiths. And that is an absolutely legitimate point of view. <laughs> I understand that. Johnny Marr is an amazing guitarist, played in so many good bands. You know, from Electronic to uh, Modest Mouse uh, to Johnny Marr and The Healers. Great band. Um... Yeah, and he essentially invented that jangly guitar style. You know, Johnny mm. Marr wrote guitar parts in the Smiths, specifically, um, uh, or particularly the one for um, How Soon Is Now, that he couldn't work out how he did. Like, yeah. 20 years later, it's like, how did I do that back yeah. in the day? I don't know how I play guitar like that. It's just iconic, that riff. Yeah, it's oh. amazing. And um, he's amazing. Okay. But, but Morrissey... I just wanted to put all cards on the table. I know, I understand Because I thought that. maybe you'd be like, oh, we're dealing with a Philistine here. No, not at all. <laughs> Morrissey's all about the words and Johnny's all about the music. It's what makes the Smiths the best band in the world. All right. Ever. So, um, of all time. Okay, all right. I'm like, I'm more than happy to let Only you claim that. Only four albums, Dan. Only four. That's really good, too, because at least that way you can get a handle on them. Like, you can probably teach someone about the Smiths in an hour. Oh, totally. It's not like going, you should get into Bowie or Bob Dylan. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, all right, so 50 albums. Here and we go. And you go to the shop and you buy one and it's like, that's the wrong one, loser. Yeah, why'd you get that one? It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I was really intrigued by something you said to me uh, yesterday where you were like, this is something you're obsessed with, but lately he's gone... Let's say off the rails, oh, yeah. off piste a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. He has become uh, well. There's no better word for it. Quite racist, or at least anti-immigration. He would claim being anti-immigration oh, is, is not a, the same um, as being racist. Is he a team leave? Uh, a Brexiteer? Yes. Yeah, he's definitely a Brexiteer. Wow, okay. He also supports some British political party, quite minor, but. Quite right wing. Okay. Who sort of have anti-Muslim stuff and that kind of thing. Oh, dear. And this is coming from men. I've said this to friends. I feel like the Morrissey of now uh, would be absolutely abused by the Morrissey of the Smiths and early solo Morrissey mm, as well. Okay. Should, should we talk a bit about, I mean, who the bands are? Or yeah, let's go back in time. Let's go to young Andy McClelland. Let's go to, I guess... Where this all began. And I love... You've got some props for me as well. Oh, yeah. Just just some of my Morrissey and Smith's books. Just okay. A, a small taste test. Because I have here Morrissey's autobiography. One of the great things about it is um, he demanded uh, that when Pe- when Penguin asked to publish it, he demanded it be uh, a brought Penguin out as a classic. Penguin classic. Yeah, wow. And they were like, we only release the books of dead people... <laughs> Uh, Classics yeah. yeah, as a Penguin classic And he said this is the only way it'll come out But it's got a lot of good turns of phrase And it's quite fun to read um, Okay Take me back in time So a little 12 year old Andrew uh, Listening to pop music Like everybody at the time Walk like an Egyptian John Farnham, etc <laughs> uh, oh, That was probably a bit earlier But um, uh, when I was 13 or so My brother was started to listen to The Smiths and The Cure And that sort of thing Okay He's five years older than me and uh, at first I thought, oh, what is this depressing, sad music? But I was bullied quite a lot at school, and this is such so, a... Sorry, what? I know, weird, sorry, what, isn't well, it? Hold up the crazy train. Well, they didn't like me wearing my cravats. <laughs> and one of the cliches of Those are weekend spats, McClelland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but my, my shoes, they must yeah. be protected from the splatters of the mud of the street. <laughs> Mother, they pulled my straw hat down over my crown. Uh. Uh. Uh, yes. I'm sure it was really traumatic. Well, it was at the time. Yeah. Although it made me who I am today. If I hadn't been bullied at school, 
um, to the point where when I was 15, my mother forced me to do drama lessons because I was so painfully shy. Mm. I would have never gotten the drama bug. I would have never come out of my shell. I would have never become the man I am today. It's, um, yeah, that's, you know, where people talk about like, what's your unpopular opinion or whatever? Bullying is a force for good. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting just to see how many people who are successful or outspoken or active or ambitious have that um, little kernel of bullying deep in their personal history. Yeah, a lot of them. And I always remember many years ago, a bunch of comedians talking about how they got bullied when they were young. And then another comedian who I I suppose I won't name was like, oh, I never got bullied. In fact, I I was a bit of a bully. And I was like, yeah, I can see that in your comedy. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you appeal to that crowd. Oh, Lawrence Lung. (laughs) Yeah, oh, man. Well, I'm glad you said it, to be honest. Got to get off my chest. His meek and mild demeanor hides like a... Cruel, psychopath, manipulative. Yeah. Mate, don't get me started. <laughs> He's pure id. His poor wife and child. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... It also, on the flip side, I think a lot of uh, people who get bullied might internalise that as a sort of world owes me now kind of thing, where it's like, okay, fine, I was beaten up, now it's my time to shine. And it's like, all right there, champ. Okay, we all got pushed around the schoolyard. Oh, definitely. So, it's, it's interesting. Well, part of it was because um, when I was bullying that sort of thing, the, it only stopped by me completely coming out of my shell and being really bold. Yeah. Uh, so ever since then, uh, I've I've been very, um, I suppose, ostentatious and maybe even a little too over the top sometimes. <laughs> I, don't know when to show I feel up. like maybe like you'll go, oh my god, I've just realised I'm a total fop. <laughs> but that definitely not helped everyone wears three-piece suits to brunch. <laughs> oh, but everybody should. No, but when I yeah, when I was a kid, you know, I I, I did get that bullying thing, and I realised they'll stop if you just prove you're confident in who you are. Yeah, which then became you know yeah madness. And can you see a point where that happened? Yeah, to a degree, it was when my mum forced me to do these drama classes. Yeah. I found people who were sort of outrageous, foppish and wild yeah. guys and girls. And then uh, I just thought, well, you know what? If they're going to, like, you know, sl- use terrible words against you, that kind of thing, no matter what. Particularly when it came down to it, it was the whole thing of, oh, McClellan, you're such a... Obviously, homosexual slurs. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I was like, well, you know, if that's what you think of me, I'm just going to be the biggest, fayest, campus, <laughs> most out there, stupid. And, and one thing... Uh, it was good for me because I never had, I suppose, because of that any homophobia, which, I mean, it sounds like, obviously today no one would think that, but if you're going to an all-boys private school, which I was, yeah. homophobia was definitely the way of it. And back even back then, uh, although I am straight, you know, I always, I realised you know, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. And also camp was what I always wanted to be. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm a camp straight man. Yeah. I love Oscar Wilde has a lot to answer for, I think. Oh, and Morrissey too. <laughs> no Morris, shadow yeah. of a doubt. All right. Yeah. Should we should we get on track? Or is this around about the, do, the, do these two sort of moments in your life kind of they happen at the dovetail same time. neatly? Yeah. And they come together. Because obviously Smith's lyrics are all about sort of alienation, depression, um, feelings of inadequacy in so many ways. Nobody loves me. And... People would say, you know, why listen to this depressing music? When you're depressed, depressing music can be amazing mm. because you're like, oh, finally, someone's speaking what I need to hear. 
you know, and, and also punk music as well, you know, yeah. listening to good angry music and all that sort of stuff. When you first heard the music, you said, like, you know, in terms of the sound of it, it wasn't necessarily instantly appealing, but it sounds like the content, the actual lyrics were. Yeah, which is probably why I love Morrissey over Ma. Yeah, okay. So, is that... How did you get through that barrier? What was it about listening to this sort of music that didn't sound amazing, but then once you actually dug a bit deeper, what made you what made you do that digging? Well, I have a theory, you know, because I'm a pop music DJ, um, that as long as you listen to anything enough times, you like it. Like, quite a <laughs> That's few such ago, a DJ thing to say as well. Oh, but it's true. I mean, Oh, that- if you sit through an hour of my set, you'll love me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm talking about commercial radio pressing songs. Yes. Like, I remember uh, Fancy, when Fancy came out. Um, yeah. so for- I remember everyone going, this song's terrible. Why is it so popular? They listen to it seven, eight times a day on FM radio. Two months' time, it's getting requested. Everybody's loving it. Um, And it was that... And with Cannibal Corpse, right? Heavy vinyl death metal. I had a bit of one of their songs in a show once. And at the start of the season, I'm like, man, I can't stand death metal. Can't stand it. By the time I'd listened to it 30 times, like, I'm hearing the melodies now. It's not just angry noise. So it's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, to a degree. My brother listening to The Smiths and The Cure and British Indie constantly led me to get into it. And then when you're 15 and you're into music that nobody else is listening to. Oh, it's the best. You think you're so cool. Yeah. Okay, so that's how you sort of got into it. And then what what did you find in these lyrics? Uh, Anything from like joking around like Frankly Mr. Shankly where he's joking about his boss being a terrible poet to um, there's a light that never goes out. You know, take me out tonight where there's music to die by your side. It's such a heavenly way to die. I just... All these songs about being depressed, but also a lot of comedy songs, silliness. Ah, okay. um, songs that reference Oscar Wilde and Keats yep. and Yeats, which made me think, ooh, uh, uh, I, I like to be smart. I'm wordy, you know. Well, I mean, the, the best moment would have been when you realise Keats and Yeats, spelt similarly, pronounced differently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So all that, the pretentiousness of it really appealed to me. And even... Morrissey, when he was starting out, was still pretty young when he was in the Smiths. I mean, he'd been in punk bands before that and so on, but he hit it with the Smiths when he was like 23, 24. Ah, okay. And I remember reading an interview where Marquis Smith from The Fall interviewed Morrissey. Yeah. Or had. And then he was saying later, Morrissey's not that smart. He uh, he mispronounced the word precipice. Uh, Precipice. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. <laughs> no, precipice. <laughs> Uh, because you'd only read it in a book. And I'm like, no, that is smart. If he's only read it in a book and never heard it oh, said... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because Morris is just, uh, in the end, a Manchester working class Yeah, boy. like as in he pushed himself into those areas. Yeah. 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 I remember um, there was an interview with the Monty Python guys, and they said everyone always assumed they were super smart just because they would put, like, Wittgenstein in a sketch. Mm. And it was because they'd heard it in their lectures, which they were not paying attention to at all because they were just at Cambridge for Footlights or whatever. Yeah. But then they would be like, oh, here's a funny word, Wittgenstein. Stick that in as a punchline for that smart character. And everyone would go, oh, yes, very smart. Yes. Oh, mate, I have written so many jokes (laughs) that include that as an element. I've written jokes that will have a word like that in it. And then I'm like, I've really got to learn what this is if I'm going to reference it in my... As if you're going to get a heckler who'll be like, oh, yeah, you don't know anything about Wittgenstein, mate. Camus never said that, you drongo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already getting a sense that I'm... 
is that like a, a chicken or egg type thing where I can't work out is if you liked this music because it's who you wanted to be or if you wanted to be this person because you liked this music. It was definitely both. Yeah. It all interplayed into each other. Yeah. And then because of... I felt like Morrissey was speaking to me through his lyrics directly. And the music is really good, which mm. absolutely helps. It became... Morrissey and the Smiths became everything to me. Um, I listened to a lot of other British indie as well. Like, yeah. I remember going to a Blur gig when I was underage in 97. And there was some girls there wearing Smiths t-shirts. And then instantly I was like, I have got to date one of these girls. <laughs> oh I mean, I never God. did. <laughs> and That's I partly sorry. got into DJing when I was really young. Because I was like, more people need to hear this music. Wow. Because Altruistic. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Because back then, the Smiths, um, it was only sort of um, uh, less than 10 years since they'd broken up. So they weren't seen as the indie stalwarts that they are today. They were just kind of a band from a few years back that broke up ages ago. So it was so important to me to introduce the world to it. But now, everywhere, it's acknowledged that the Smiths are one of the greatest indie bands, if not the greatest indie band of all time. Did you see him live? Yeah, not until 2003. The first time I saw him... I, how long? So, how long do you reckon from first listen to first live? Uh, about eight years. So you had eight years of just imagining what it would oh, be like and being desperate, so desperate. Yeah, yeah. And then did uh, you miss out on seeing them during that eight years? No, I never did. Cause oh, the, okay. Yeah, I mean, I never saw the Smiths, obviously, but just Morrissey. Yeah, yeah. The Smiths broke up, you know, in '87 before I was even listening to anything yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, the first time I saw Morrissey was at the Royal Albert Hall in London and happily was touring a really good album at the time. Um, and uh, That's always a blessing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is because he it's, had some Here's some of our later. new stuff. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, no. And uh, I snuck in downstairs because I had a ticket I bought from a scalp away at the back of the theatre um, and I snuck into this area downstairs. I got pretty close... And I walked out after the gig and I was shaking. And then there was another... People are Morrissey Smith's obsessed. There was another guy. And yeah. He was like, oh, you just saw him for the first time, didn't you? Oh. And I was like, yeah, because my whole body shaking. And, you know, I've never met the man. And I never want to meet him. That's another oh, thing. Because he's racist. Well, <laughs> that now. In the past, it used to be because he's kind of famously a bit of an asshole. Yeah. He can be nice, but he can also... Like, he loves a quip and loves a burning put down. So, if you're too fanny to him, although he can be very kind to some people, he can also go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Why are you him? One so, he those. looks into your soul and he, <laughs> sort of, he weighs it and then he decides. Yeah, and you don't know, want to know what his decision would be about I you. do not want to know. Oh. And now, yeah, so there was rumours that he was racist like years ago. But I always put it down, he's an extreme vegan, right? Yeah, I know about this. Yeah, extreme yeah. vegetarian. So when he'd say things like, uh, oh, the Chinese are a subspecies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm it glad would... I got that quote because I could use that out of context. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would, do not edit that. So it's just me saying that. That would be so That's cruel. Podcast. This is going to be a loop of you <laughs> saying that. Andy, please say something else. Uh. So when he said stuff like that, it was in the context of him talking about the treatment of animals and meat in those countries, right? So I can always say, yeah, he put it really badly. Yeah, he's but a he's just polemicist or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he'll always say, like a few years back at Coachella, he said, "Oh, I can smell burning meat. I hope it's human." You know, stuff like that. Like he's always very. I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. He thinks animals are worth just as much as people, if not more. And I mean. Honestly, like as someone who eats meat, 
I'm just like, I can't fault the logic in that. No. Other than I think humans are intrinsically worth more than animals. But we accidentally... because I was raised Christian. Well, I, I look at it and I go, we accidentally developed our brains. Like, it's not like... like a, a Cows could have done it too, but we just happened to be in the right area, evolving the right way. Yeah. So, we kind of... It's like a genetic lottery thing. I totally see that. We fluked yeah. it. Yeah. They could have gone down that pathway, but they chose to just be cows, and we just evolved this way. Oops, became humans, got consciousness. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm kind of like... But at the same time, like, I eat meat. I know. And that's something you have to deal with. I think as long as you sort of question it and dealt with it yourself. I know, the things we tell ourselves, right? Oh, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely the things we tell ourselves. And so you were never tempted, based on Morrissey's example, to be a vegan or a vegetarian? Oh, I've been tempted tons of times. I've even tried it. Uh, but oh. I, I am weak, Dan. I'm weak. Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, the, he used to say these things and you'd, you'd find excuses for it. Because also, when he was younger with the Smiths and that... He was uh, quite lefty. He'd play with Red Wedge, who were this anti-Thatcher. He always hated Margaret Thatcher. He wrote a song, Margaret on the Guillotine, yeah. which is about the people killing Margaret Thatcher, and it finishes with the sound of a guillotine chopping her head off. Yikes. You know, and he hates the royals. He was always seems pretty lefty, but then in the mid-'90s, he starts up this thing about English culture and lad culture, and uh, it all got real weird. Now, the thing is, his parents were immigrants, right? They're from Ireland. They immigrated to England when they were poor in the 50s. Uh, and, and so, even now, when he's like, I'm not racist, I'm anti-immigration. Well, first of that doesn't work, because why are you English, mate? Was it, when it, was it when Ireland was part of UK? Or has Ireland always been its own country? No, Ireland no, it was... Northern uh, Ireland. Yeah, it was, Ireland, it was in the 20s that Ireland yeah, all right. became independent. They came from the independent part of Ireland. Yeah, Northern cool. Ireland's yeah. still part of the UK. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it... it a lot of my friends were really lefty. One in particular who's a real socialist still absolutely supports Moz and says he's not racist. And that comes down to that but is question. Is it because they want to believe it? Yeah. Oh, I'd say it's because they want to believe it. But there is, can you say, and I'm just posing this as a question, I'm anti-immigration, but I'm not racist. Do you reckon? I think the main problem with that is when people say they're anti-immigration, what they mean is they're anti-non-white people. I think that so is the problem. They Or the anti-non-white people immigrating. Yeah. I mean, Trump kind of wears it on his sleeve and says stuff like, oh, if only we had more people from Scandinavia moving over. And it's like, well, you want to stop Mexicans but get Scandinavians in? What's the obvious difference between them? Yeah. Um, it's the same way that people say... Uh, say, like, all the people from Bangladesh in the UK are immigrants and all the people from South Africa and Australia are expats. Yeah. So, I'm not anti-immigrant. No, I'm anti-immigrant, but I'm pro-expat. Yeah. It's like, you know, we know what we you're know saying what you mean, there. Absolutely. If, and- you, if you honestly thought, I don't want anyone moving into my country under any circumstance, I'd go, okay. All right, I disagree, maybe, but I yeah, can see I disagree. Point. It's yeah. a dumb idea, but you are anti-immigration. Yeah, but I, I reckon the vast majority of anyone who's anti-immigration, they're not against the movement of people between countries. Like they'd probably apply for a job overseas, mm. but I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who had a one hundred percent perfect record on. Anti-immigration. 
they just they want the quote right people end yeah. quote coming in yeah well it's odd because he is linked to so many outsider groups Moz like he yeah. is an immigrant himself first yeah he wouldn't have been in England he would have been stuck in Ireland he uh, is a figure beloved by um uh by gay people, like I've got here a flyer for a club. I went to an LA boy division, which is a gay Smiths night. <laughs> boy division, yeah, yeah. Oh, gay British indie night. Yeah, I was gonna say, division. but yeah, that, with the Smiths special. Wow. But also, um, uh, Latinos in America love Morrissey. Absolutely love him. There was a Smiths event of some kind or another in LA every night when I was there, like every night of the week. And he's released like a DV- a live DVD called Oy Esteban, which is Hey Steven, Steven's his first name, ah. uh, as a tribute to his Latino fans. And there's documentaries about it on YouTube. Latinos are covered in Morrissey tattoos. They absolutely love him. They all live the immigrant experience. so Or at least close to it. All right. So what, what do you know about his specific views? Uh, I know that he says... I am not racist. I'm anti-immigration. For Britain, he's talking about for Britain specifically. And what, but why? What's his motivation? Uh, he seems to believe that British culture is becoming diluted, right? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. So, there. it's a classic yeah. sort of... So, you know, like, I don't know exactly what that is. But for him, it seems to be, to a degree, lad culture. Yeah. Because uh, he really got into sort of the soccer hooligan kind of vibe or style for a while. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But then he also identifies with classic queer styles and has for a long time as well. Classic what? Queer styles. Oh, I thought you said quiz. Oh, oh, he loves a good quiz. (laughs) He loves multiple choice. A crossword. He'll go with crossy. (laughs) Cryptic even. I just love classic quiz styles. (laughs) Oh, man. Fill in the blanks, a classic. Yeah. (laughs) So for me, it brings up that whole question. Someone who have idolised my whole life is... Is like this now. He hasn't done something terrible. It's not like I don't know if you loved um, Woody Allen or whatever. And like literally, oh. I cannot tell you how much of an influence. Like I wouldn't say he's my Morrissey, but Woody Allen is like one of the reasons why. Maybe not in terms of performance, mm. but in terms of my writing. Mm. When I was sort of in my late teens, early twenties. I read a lot of Woody Allen's writing and just really got into, yeah, the way he wrote and the characters and I just, he was a huge influence on me. So, that's that's where my mind went. Yeah. Like when you were talking about um, what do you do when your idol's evil. The weird thing about Woody Allen is for so long, like there was allegations that were never proven in court mm. and, you know, I was a law student. And you've kind of got to trust the process. Yeah, absolutely. But, I know what you mean. And then he was yeah. acquitted, right? So- and anyone who goes around saying if there's no... He wasn't acquitted. It was just there was no case to answer. Oh, okay. So, what happened was it got taken to court and thrown out of court. And there was a bit of rumbling, a bit of scuttlebutt that he'd used his status or financial situation or whatever to kind of wheedle his way out. So, would you stop loving an artist you've always loved because of scuttlebutt? Yeah, I know. And then... Which... Uh, but a few years ago, more came out. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And the climate had changed. And you couldn't just rest on this thing of, I don't know, I don't know. Because now it's a bit more like, well, you should. Mm. You should really grapple with these. Because well, and, and there is that yeah. great problem of, you know, Bill Cosby did so much good in the world, but it's all gone now because of what 
he did. Yeah. You know. I mean, Woody Allen just says, I'm a normal guy who married his partner's adopted child from another relationship. Mm. But we're in love and they've got that whole thing and we've been going out this whole time. We've been together, married this whole time, like decades, right? Yeah. So, they can be like, see, it's love. Um, but then, and that was all it sort of was. It was like, yeah, it's weird, but trust us, we're in love. Right. And Mia Farrow is not the partner for me. But then, now that the allegations have come out that prior to all of that, he was messing around with his baby child. And again, they are just allegations, right? Yeah. But you just go, oh, man. Like, I, the, the specific moment I remember was throwing out my Woody Allen T-shirt. Oh, wow. That was the moment. And it became maybe like I'm not prepared to decry this guy mm. and like, aggressively be like, he's a scumbag. So, say it is true, right? Even the worst of it was true. Could you still say, he wrote good comedy? That's it, isn't it? Yeah. So, that's the thing. I, so, I, Morrissey I, himself yeah. still says, I am not racist. I'm just anti-immigration, pro-preserving British culture. Which sounds pretty bloody racist. Yeah. And he does the well, whole... How, how, how much these... do you love a Cornish pasty? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A pint of Boddington's can yeah. only go so far. Uh, you know, and of course he has his arguments, which anyone uh, who leans in this direction has. Look at all these friends I have who aren't white. Look at these legions of fans I have who yeah. aren't white. W- why would they love me if I was a racist? Yeah. And I know that I, to a degree, still want to hold on to that. Yeah. I have a friend who definitely holds on to it, absolute socialist, and says Morrissey's fantastic and he's just misunderstood. Yeah, oh, I'm very conflicted. When I, you abandon that, yeah. I had no enthusiasm for the last album. That'd be the first Moz album where I wasn't like, oh, a new Moz album coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's wait kind of the listen. same with Woody Allen movies. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, it helps that they aren't critically well reviewed. But <laughs> yeah, you just kind of go, oh, well. Oh, I don't know. So yeah, it's tough stuff. But So I, where are you at? Well, it's hard to know. I think I will always love the albums that meant so much to me that saved me from the blackest of depressions that made me to a degree the person I am today I'll always love Smith songs because Johnny Marr is an absolute legend and a good lefty and all that sort of thing as well so I think that helps <laughs> always got Johnny yeah absolutely um I essentially choose to ignore the bits I don't like but then isn't that oh. the evil of the patriarchy isn't it yeah it is oh, oh man as, as you said it helps his recent albums haven't been good and that's yeah. the thing like I know. once upon a time I would have been here going oh your listeners should listen to this album listen to that album and pretty much I think you could say you're safe to think that he wasn't really this way until the mid 2000s so you've still got six great albums to listen to guys uh, <laughs> everything everything up to you are the quarry superb but um yeah it's it's very difficult and what do i do now well, we're at the stage now where if he gets put on a festival bill you gotta wonder yeah yeah uh, and at the stage where if he to it again i'd have to wonder which i never yeah. did in the past i've just sort of Two, three years ago, I went to every show he did in Australia. I followed him around, did that whole thing. And I loved it. Uh, but he hadn't quite gone as far as he has just in the last year or year and a half. Wow. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you separate the artist? I mean, there is a light that never goes out will always be a song that means the world to me. 
Yeah, there's short I, stories that Woody Allen's written that I still yeah. like look at, and I go, "That's the kind like that to me is the gold standard of comedy writing." Yeah, and oddly, and I can't help but think the Morrissey who wrote those lyrics is not this man now today. I want you to meet him now. Oh, mate, I don't know. Think of the uh, amount of things your brain would go through on that day. Oh, I don't want to do it. I've met part of you would want to hug him and thank him for everything he's done. Part of you would want to just grab him by the shoulders and shake him and go, why? Could I do both? <laughs> uh, first the how's hug. That, how's that? First the hug, then the shoulder hugging. There. How's that going for you? <laughs> <laughs> it's getting right. a little painful. <laughs> um, just quickly, show me through the um, paraphernalia that you've got here. Oh, well, Moz's autobiography. Uh, oh, his list of the lost, the novel he released, which has the worst sex scene oh. uh, pretty much ever written. Um, I'm surprised you haven't put a little... Uh, post-it note in there so remember that yeah you're right you're right i should have i should have bookmarked it um a bunch of like song uh books about albums meters murder um some complete guide visual documentary all men have secrets which is a book of letters that people have written about smith songs oh, and cool. i would read that and then feel like i was connected to all the people in it when i read that when i was young um this great book of newspaper newspaper clippings pre-internet uh when it was so hard to find just um, journalism about the Smiths. Yeah. So this is pure DIY. This oh, is so it's a book full of photocopied newspaper clippings. That's all it is. Yeah. And where'd you get it from? About record Smiths. store? I would have bought it at the Heartland Records, yeah, in about 92. As in you walked in there and you saw it and you're like, oh my God, this is the best day of oh, my yeah. life. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, uh, you said this in another podcast. You'd look through music magazines going, if yeah. there's an article about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I'm I ain't buying, buying this, yeah. This is a magazine that is nothing but articles about oh, the Smiths. Oh, the Holy Grail. Oh. And you couldn't just buy it on Amazon. You had to find it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh. Search bar. Although, um, it was interesting listening to that, uh, the South California punk episode you did with uh, Beveridge. Yeah. Um, he was talking about how music has in some ways lost... He said 90% of the joy of music is the, is the finding it. No, mate. 99% <laughs> is listening to it. If you're getting 99% of the joy out of finding it, something's gone wrong. Because he was arguing against Spotify. I am so grateful for Spotify and other services because all those wonderful people who are influencers of the Smiths or influenced by the Smiths, I can now find their records really easily and I don't have to pay $30 a pop. And you can still do that thing the beverage talked about where you open up your album cover, you go, oh, they mentioned these other bands. Yes, yes. You can still do that. I think you guys have got to meet and duke this out. I would I would love to watch that. All right. <laughs> totally obsessed with arguing about algorithms. Yes. Oh, Kel Modern. I would actually, yeah, totally obsessed battle mode. Rotate people who... Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> because he also said that um, Savage Gardens Truly Madly Deeply is the best Australian number of the 90s. For fuck's sake. Oh, wait, I don't think I've heard any swear words on this podcast. You did say dickhead before, so oh. we are getting the explicit rating. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> all right, all right. <sighs> Thank uh, you. It's been an absolute joy. <laughs> Totally Obsessed with Dan DeBooth is pretty much made entirely by me, Dan DeBooth, except for the music, which is by Caleb Garfinkel, and the artwork, which is by David Ferrier and Joe Kutri. Listener.